4: your perfect home, sweet home.
1: You're listening to the After Show, the bonus episode series for On Tour with Brian Ray. This is a production of iHeartRadio and Black Barrel Media, and I'm your host, Mandy Wimmer. In the after show, we dive a little deeper into Brian's thoughts about certain parts of the interviews, as well as expound a bit more on his own experiences on tour. In previous after shows, we dabbled in how sex, drugs, and rock and roll all go hand in hand. But in this episode, we tackle it head on—from Matt's coke-running days to the fairly hedonistic parties, to people going missing on tours, to the stories of those who survived addiction and to those who sadly did not, like Velvet Revolver and Stone Temple Pilots frontman Scott Weiland. In contrast, we cover a lot of hysterical moments in Matt's interview, including the remarkable partying ability and work ethic of Slash and Keith Richards. And we examine if there is any red underwear left in the world after Matt Sorum fulfilled his show day superstitions. Here's my conversation with Brian Ray. Episode 7, Matt Sorum.
5: Hey, Mandy. Mandy Wimmer, my producer.
1: <laughs> Thank you for inserting the British accent. Oh,
5: yes. You, you got it.
1: You know I can't do a British Gratuitous accent. Gratuitous so. and
5: not good.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I get really jealous when people do accents because I cannot do them to okay. save my life.
5: Best not to try them. No, I won't try. Okay. I'm not,
1: not going to embarrass myself. Um, anyway, Matt, Matt Sorum. I have to say, I laughed out loud multiple times during this interview. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and editing this interview. I, um, you know... This interview was actually about two two hours, two plus hours long. And right. so editing this interview was uh, a treat um, yeah. to get it down to, to one hour. There's so many great stories on the cutting room floor. I really wish we could put it all out. It just would have been way too long. But uh, anyway, what we did put out is great and absolutely hysterical. And we are going to start right away with where we started in the interview. And that is the cocaine running days.
5: Whoa. <laughs> uh,
1: you as everybody knows, have had your time in the sun with drugs, Yes, but this is this is over the top. I mean, my heart was racing hearing these stories about him strapping kilos of Coke to his chest and flying to Hawaii and doing drops and then coming back with thousands of dollars. I mean, I, I don't know, and he did this for years. I cannot think of anything more stressful. Were you ever on that side of it? Or what were your thoughts of that story? I would have made a terrible
5: dealer. <laughs> <laughs> I would have definitely used up all the profits in my nose or in my lungs. Uh, you know what? When you're a young musician trying to make it, you've got big dreams. None of those dreams have come true yet. You got to make ends meet. So what? Yeah, run a couple of drugs. hey?
1: But what? What? I mean, have you guys not heard of, heard of like serving in a restaurant or maybe Starbucks or like, you know, doing something on the side? I mean, like drugs is the only option. And make like what?
5: Oh my
1: god, but it's honest at least And you're not going to jail
5: Yeah, but then you're not a renegade badass
1: (laughs) I don't I I really don't know how you guys are still among us I don't either I mean, was that though, okay, so to to wrap this up, was that, hearing that story, was was your heart racing like mine or were you just like, this is entertaining?
5: It was all news to me. I had no idea that he had that sordid tale in his past, but it's hilarious. You know, he and I, just so the audience knows, we're both a couple of sober men. We talk about that. You know, we both have been in recovery for a long time. And uh, so between us that stuff is hilarious now, we laugh yeah. our heads off over that stuff all the time when we see each other and talk about our exploits because it's funny is this is these are the tales of survivors right. now sadly for every one of those stories of a survivor there are thousands of stories of people who didn't survive so it's not that cute but in this in right. this case while we're talking about you know uh, an 80s style r-a-w-k rock
1: right right uh,
5: musician it's hilarious
1: so really the cult is what brought uh, matt out of his drug smuggling days he got an audition for the cult thank god uh, because actually the person who took his spot was then arrested and spent 10 years in federal penitentiary which is insane and crazy but that's what happens when you smuggle drugs don't do it
5: (laughs) yes right then you join a cult
1: (laughs) no not i'm sorry oh my god oh my god um so he actually says he's been in so many amazing bands, but he says that the Cult was actually, as a lot of people have said, apparently the best fit for him as a drummer. So I I really enjoyed the Cult. I I believe I had one of their CDs back in the day, but knowing what I know of Matt as a person, I didn't realize he was a drummer at that point. I don't see that as like the best fit. Like I see him more as like straight GNR. Yeah,
5: I I can see what he's getting at there with a Cult. That's a very straight ahead eighth note band whereas gnr had a lot bit a bit more swing and variety of feels maybe matt is talking about that that he's probably better at that more straight ahead style maybe that's what he means
1: yeah interesting yeah i don't really know but i thought that was uh that it was interesting also that he had to change his entire appearance to wear all black to fit in with the death cult
5: Yes, the death cult.
1: (laughs) Okay, so another laugh out loud moment in this interview was... Um, When Slash and Duff, I think it was, came to a cult show. That's how they met Matt. And then Matt coming off that tour, I think 180 days or something like that. I don't don't know. You don't hear it in the interview. But um, he got walking pneumonia. He was home with his mom. His mom was taking care of him, which is so cute. And Slash calls his house and his mom says, there's someone named Slush on the phone for you. (laughs) 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 Oh, my God. It's like such a mom thing to say. That is so cute. Next
5: time I see Slash, I'm going to call him Slush.
1: (laughs) Well, the best part about this is a that story that is just great. But Slush says to Matt, our drummer is in rehab. And so we need a new drummer. Okay, so then Matt, having walking pneumonia, goes and basically auditions or, or starts working with them the next day while having pneumonia. So, I mean, obviously there's no stop, stop switch for him. But then we're going to talk about drugs a little bit longer because I find this really interesting that they're drummers in rehab. Matt comes to take the place of the drummer and he finds out that everybody in GNR is on heroin. And everyone's, like, falling asleep. He's like, it's like an opium den, which I think straight, like, Deadwood or Tombstone or something like that, opium den. But then, so he credits himself for getting the band to do more cocaine.
5: Well, you know, when you're going nowhere, you want to get there as fast as possible. (laughs) No, GNR was clearly going places, and it's hard to go places when you're sleeping. Uh, (laughs) Unless, of course, you're a sleepwalker. (laughs) Okay. okay, but anyway, we're not, um, not going to get into that right. We're now. We're not going to get into that right now. But people, that's for another episode. You can ask in your questions about the sleepwalking. <laughs> I, I will talk about it at some point.
1: I might never talk about it, but well, Brian I will
5: talk about it anyway. Uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> that's hilarious. <laughs> the drug, the the drugs have taken control of the band, and they're all like nodding out all day long. And then <laughs> Matt convinces them that a better drug would be cocaine. But guess what? They didn't stop doing heroin. They did both.
1: I, I mean, so what happens? Like, so, so cocaine obviously makes you really hyper, and heroin puts you to sleep. Is that the difference, basically? Oh, uh, basically,
5: yeah. In a nutshell, yeah.
1: Okay, so like, if you're doing both, then I don't even understand what you would be like if you're. You'd doing You'd be both.
5: giving your heart a real hard time <sighs> because your your um your brain is going fast, but your mouth's still going slow. <laughs>
1: I just I don't understand had you guys never heard of like um soda or coffee or anything like that to what? like <laughs> I mean I I've worked insanely long hours doing Super Bowls I mean 18-hour days 7 days a week and I don't recall any at any point looking at my events team and saying we really need to get some cocaine in here.
5: Well, you would have been sent to jail if you did because, you know, the NFL isn't really kind towards drug addiction. But, you know, you used uh, exorbitant amounts of, uh, of caffeine.
1: That's true. That, that was our drug of choice, there was caffeine. Go. That's That'll how we work. got through it. That'll in.
5: work. The way you do it, it'll work. It's like rocket fuel.
1: It is. It, it actually is. I've I seen guess, you work. I guess I am addicted a to caffeine. fresh
5: cup over here right now. Let me look in there. Halfway down, still warm. It's a fifth cup
1: it goes with me everywhere i am never without my coffee
5: it's like a sippy cup do you have like a, a, one of those helmets with a hose <laughs> that goes like coffee all day
1: i should actually have one i
5: think it's a good idea
1: <laughs> then i don't have to keep going back for refills it takes way too much time
5: perhaps you could do some starbucks branding on
4: the side <laughs>
6: So, follow the seven right now.
1: so very 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 funny. So we brought in the Rolling Stones in this episode Keith Richards. I this was another laugh out loud moment for me when Matt was talking about the work ethic of bands. I mean, among in and among all of the drugs and all of the alcohol, they also play shows. Wow. I know. They also record albums. I mean, I don't know how this all gets done. You
5: have to do something to afford all those drugs.
1: Yeah, it's true. It's true. So they,
5: we're paying them for their music.
1: Keith Richards is probably the biggest icon for how is he still functioning as a human mm. with all of the drugs and the smoking, and I'm sure the alcohol. And I don't know Keith personally, so I don't know what all he does, but in his shows he's smoking. So, I mean, that you you do see that all the time. And he's known as a party animal, of course. So Matt talks about a story about how. Axel was had was late to a sound check or something like that for no. with, the, with the Rolling Stones and and Keith Richards looks at him and says, "I slept in a chandelier last night. What's your excuse?" And Matt talks about uh, going missing in Venezuela and they find him on some hotel balcony. Uh, I don't think a hotel he was staying in. Matt's point in the story was that. Slash has the best work ethic of just about anybody where he can be out all night partying and he can still be at Soundcheck at noon. Is that a thing like back in your heyday? Were you struggling to actually do your job?
5: No, I, you know, uh, there were times there where like I remember being in, I think it was Chile when I was playing with Laura Branigan in the mid eighties, back when all the drugs were still working for me. Uh, Well, you know, you'd have jet lag and these were very long flights. So we had found out about a sleeping pill and it was a very strong, but over the counter sleeping pill down there in South America in Chile. And uh, so apparently you could take half of one of these tiny little pills and you'd be out for your whole flight back.
1: Wow!
5: Uh, So, you know, I was excited about that because I don't sleep that well, on a flight. Wait, but was
1: this legal or not legal?
5: Yeah, those legal there. It was legal
1: there. Okay, probably not supposed to have
5: it here. <laughs> okay, you can't pronounce the name, and they don't know what it is, <laughs> so they'll view it as illegal. Oh, anyway, so um, well, I of course I had to sample some.
1: Of course, <laughs> while I was down
5: there, and then I took a couple, smuggled a couple home. You know, but this is lightweight. So you so, were a
1: smuggler. What
5: well, I was? Well, you little, lied. Okay, a little bit, but not for money. That's the thing. Smuggling is for money.
1: Oh, got it. Okay, it,
5: you know just bringing in a little something,
1: something. Those of us non-drug addicts and non-smugglers don't really understand these things. We have to be told.
5: But anyway, that was when I was coming to the end of my um, my dr- drug abuse and alcohol abuse career in the mid-80s. It was still kind of working, but kind of not really. But anyway, I brought it. Oh, one of the guys, <laughs> I should say this, one of the guys in the tour, a guitar tech for the other guitar player, Went to a strip club and uh, he went to go enjoy himself down in Chile and woke up uh, at 10 in the morning out in an alley with his wallet gone. Well, they'd given him a whole one of these things and oh, he was out like put a him lot. Out. Yeah, he, they put him out. So it's a little bit dangerous. Yeah, but um, in general, yeah, for myself, I didn't have uh, too difficult of a time with balancing work and uh, those things but at a certain point I knew that the gig was up and at a certain point I had friends later tell me after I was sober man that session you looked rough and I'm like (laughs) what session
1: (laughs) oh my god
5: (laughs) yeah so you know I mean you just learn and hopefully you know like in my case and in Matt's case we found another path where we could find a life truly worth living that was a lot better and rewarding with all, without all that chaos and danger.
1: Okay, so there's one part of this that, I, I I mean, a lot of it was very funny now, obviously, in looking at all of this stuff, retrospect, and then there was part of it that made me cringe a little bit. Some of it we've already talked about. So the other part of it that I really think that we need to address, uh, address is the hedonistic nature of rock and roll. Uh, and the fact that, You guys talk about how it was a time, and that time has changed. He talks about this story where people are rolling down the aisles of the 727 as they're taking off, and everybody's sleeping with everybody, and they're picking up girls in strip clubs in Houston and sending them back home on a Southwest ticket. I mean, uh, it's just chaos. I mean, it, it was pure chaos, right? And I mean, me, as a female, of course, I'm cringing hearing this story, And but Matt talks about how he looks back on it, again, not with pride, uh, but and recognizes that it was very hedonistic, but that he has completely changed now at this point. But what are your thoughts on that time versus this time and how rock and roll was versus how it is now? And do you guys have more respect than you showed?
5: Oh yeah, we do. <laughs> Trust me, look in my eyes. You're looking right at me. I know there's a devilish glint but there is respect behind that devilish glint. No, it's not like a me too moment. It's more like a me 14 moment. <laughs> it's terrible, but you know, I guess um, rock and roll went through a phase and, and, and some would say that that was, it's a uh, death rattle yeah. to be honest with you. What started out in rock and roll, in my uh, opinion was a fantastic outlet for teens Uh, And people of any age who needed that outlet full of energy, danger, uh, the forbidden thing, and uh, fun, and rebelliousness, Uh, but it turned into just like, you know, hedonistic. You know, naval gazing, excess, <laughs> and abuse of people and drugs. You know, and it's sad, but that's what happened to rock and roll, unfortunately.
1: Right. Yeah. Right. Now, I do think that we—it's important that we say that Matt is you know, the poster child of the fact that people do actually change.
5: I don't know about poster child. (laughs) What word would you use? isn't an example of someone who (laughs) might have changed. No, Matt is happily married and they have a kid on the way and He's sober. He's sober, long time. He's an industrious man. He does charity work. Tons of charity uh, work, yeah. He's trying to rub out a record. What can I say? (laughs) And they just, uh, you know, they they live really close to my getaway pad in Palm Springs. And uh, yeah, he's a very good dude. Yeah
1: yeah no completely I mean very, very impressive how he's you know done all of this, but now is 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 so different. so uh, next time someone says to you people don't change, um, refer them to the Matt Sorum episode on, on that,
5: that's right here. <laughs> <laughs> Exhibit A.
1: Yes, yes, they do change. Uh, so, okay, the last thing that I want to talk about, kind of in the the Guns N' Roses heyday, is when um, Axel does end up firing Matt, and he leaves his firing. He goes home. He lives in this huge rock star pad, and he pulls into his he pulls into his garage, and he finds a, a black Porsche in his garage, and he rolls in in a black Porsche. He now has two black Porsches because he literally forgot about the first one.
5: I know it's so hard. <laughs> It's tough. I mean, finding your way in the music business can be so challenging.
1: <laughs> I mean, I think that that's a new life goal. Have enough money that you're buying two cars because you, you forget. Yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, if I had that much money, I would spend it all on, I would give it all to animal shelters. Let's oh, be real. that's nice. <laughs> you know, but it's a fun thing to think about. And
5: you wouldn't forget that you'd give into an animal. No,
1: I would not. Right, I would exactly. just, And it wouldn't matter. I just keep giving. <laughs>
4: If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home.
6: There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time.
1: quick things. We're going to wrap it up here. Um, we did talk about the semi-glamorous side of the, the drug business, uh, which we don't condone. Uh, but there is kind of a, a sad side to this as well. Uh, when uh, Matt Sorum was with Velvet Revolver, the frontman of that band was Scott Weiland or Wieland? Weiland. Weiland. Okay. Um, who lost his life to addiction. Yeah. Um, Very, very, very sad. Uh, He was the frontman also for Stone Temple Pilots, an amazing band. Um, You know, I didn't know much about Scott, but what was your experience with him?
5: Yeah, well, I got to meet Scott, uh, lovely guy. Uh, We rehearsed one day and then played a big charity on the beach in Santa Monica behind a a large mansion. It was just one of those sort of all-star bands. It was uh, Matt on drums. Dave Kushner also from uh, from Velvet Revolver on guitar and a bunch of other people. Steve Jones from the Sex Pistols. And uh, I did a handful of songs with Scott Weiland singing. And he was a great performer, really magnificent, very charismatic, uh, an interesting singer. He had a very good voice. As you said, Stone Temple Pilots is a, a really important band from the 90s. And uh, so his contribution to that era of rock and roll when grunge music came to save rock and roll, which had gone so far south and so far into the excess of the 80s, they were one of the bands that led the charge to try to save rock and roll. And um, so imagine my sadness when I saw that Scott Weiland was struggling with drugs and alcohol to a great degree and basically was never able to control that. And um, uh, though he tried, he could never slay that dragon and his demons won out. And unfortunately, there's no more Scott Weiland except uh, in video and in recordings. And it's a shame. It's a real shame.
1: Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. A complete shame. Um, so we're gonna we're gonna end this on a light note uh, because I think that probably one of the funniest parts of this interview was when Matt was talking about his superstitions that he does not do as much anymore, but uh, but did do them at one time for a long time, and they were literally laugh out loud funny. Hopefully you heard them in the episode. But one of them was that he would have to wear red underwear. Every single night when he played, I cannot imagine the amount of red underwear that must be. I hope he had a red underwear sponsor. I,
5: there's all of the red underwear on Earth is now gone. Basically, that's why he doesn't do it as much anymore.
1: <laughs> Matt Zoram has all the Earth's <laughs> red underwear, um, and then he could. Then he had to chew gum for the first three songs, and as we all know, they only take pictures of the first three songs um, in the press pit. So, and as you know, there's nothing that I hate worse than people chewing gum. So yes. <laughs> I was completely. Completely on board with that one going away. I,
5: I've heard that about you. The truth is, is that when you chew gum and somebody's taking a photo. You're likely to be making a funny face if you're in the middle of chewing gum.
1: Well, I don't think anyone looks attractive while chewing gum. Yeah. Picture or no picture. No one looks attractive chewing gum. <laughs> I'm just I'm going on the record with that. <laughs>
5: Let's just talk about the sound of chewing gum. That's No, not oh, God, either. I
1: can't even go there. I okay. go, oh, disgusting. Okay. We, we absolutely disgusting. Ah, okay. So the last one the, the, his absolutely hysterical. So Matt had a chrome chain that he had to wear at every single show. And on his way from his dressing room to... The stage at a Guns N' Roses show, he realized he didn't have it and he starts screaming <laughs> at his golf cart driver that he's got to go back. He has to go back. He cannot go on stage without this chain. Oh my God, just absolutely hysterical. So you have your ring that Jan- Johnny Holiday gave you that's been brought up in a few of these after shows. I mean, how dire is it that you have this ring on? I mean, do you, can you not perform? Would you have a horrible show? Would you have a great show and then go cry backstage? Like, how, how do you get through it?
5: Uh, well, yeah, I don't think that I would have a struggle doing the show or crying after, although I might, <laughs> but I might do that anyway. No, uh, I don't think that it would be a struggle to do a show without it. It's just that it's, it became a part of me. Ever since Johnny Halliday gave me that ring in whatever that was, 2000, um, it's been on my finger, on my right hand, my middle finger, uh, for every show that I've played since then. So I think I would just feel naked without it. and right. uh, Yeah, I don't think I've played a single show without it, and I almost lost it in New York City. I almost lost the ring. We checked out of our hotel there, and I'm on the way to the airport in our oh, no. in our SUV and I go, oh, oh my God, my heart just sank. I don't have my ring on. And then my, my head instantly went to, I remember taking it off uh, on top of the bed. And so I instantly call our tour manager, uh, uh, Phil, and say, Phil, this is a crazy request. I don't do this to you often, but would you please see if you can get the keys to my room on the 33rd floor and go in there and see if you can find my big old ring it's probably right in the middle of the bed and he goes we'll do and he called me back in like 10 minutes he says I got it
1: oh thank god (laughs) oh my
5: god you can't imagine what I was stressed out over that one
1: Mm, That happened to me in a hotel once I left my prized ring uh, in the bathroom and uh, I called them immediately, but it mysteriously could not be found.
4: Yeah,
5: I think we've all got sad stories about that. But this is a story that ended on a
1: happy note. Thank God, because it is one of your faves. Um, All right. So we are going to wrap up with the lightning round. First question, music related. Who is the one artist that you are a pretty big fan of that people might not expect?
5: Mm, interesting. Let me see here. That's a good question. Um, Little Feet, a band oh, really? from the uh, very late 60s, early 70s, and all through the 70s and 80s. Kind of uh, multi-ethnicity, uh, cross-genre. It's sort of like R&B, rock and roll, sometimes rootsy, sometimes country. And I loved him. I was so addicted to that band. Also, Ry Cooter. I, there was a time when that's all I listened to. Those Is two that, bands.
1: Do you still listen to them now?
5: Not as much now. Mm-hmm. I mean, but that's also because I wore it out. Right. I listen to it every day, all day, on tour, off tour, all the time.
1: Right, right. Okay, so uh, the non-music related question. If you could live anywhere outside of the United States, where would you live?
5: Canada or France
1: Canada or France yes interesting so why Canada or
5: Buenos Aires
1: I know I know you love France you said that that's your favorite place to tour Buenos Aires let's go there okay why, let's why, go there okay why why would uh, so what is it about Buenos Aires that you love
5: Buenos Aires okay so that place is magnificent it is. Its own architecture, its own vibe, very different from any South American city. It's got a lot of Art Deco architecture, and I'm, as you know, very into architecture. So it's got a lot of this sort of twenties and thirties architecture. Sort of uh, one of the main features is big round corners instead of, uh, you know, ninety degree angles. Very rounded. Right. Uh, and the city was planned by one of the people that helped to plan. Paris, the way the city of Paris ended up sort of expanding out uh, was sort of very similar to the way Buenos Aires is. And it just feels like a European city rather than being in South America and I, I just love it down there. And the people are also so friendly and so fun.
1: You've uh, you've toured there with the Bayonets as well, haven't you? I have and okay.
5: solo a few times. Okay. Yeah, I've gone oh, down there okay. a few times. Yes, you've been there yeah. a lot. Yeah, yeah. awesome. Well, it's a great rock and roll crowd in Buenos Aires. Right, yeah. right. It's just wonderful. But uh, and then Canada, because um, for the most part, they speak English. And I find that comforting because I'm too lazy now to learn another language. But uh, so they they speak uh, English very well. And uh, and it's so beautiful up there. And there's so many lakes and rivers and streams and snow and beach, just a lot. And it's filled with lovely canadians
1: all right so thank you very much brian and thank you to matt sorum for the incredibly entertaining (laughs) episode
5: yeah it was a great great fun to uh yeah it was great great fun to sit down with my old buddy matt sorum he's a lovely guy and uh i'm really happy for him the way things are turning out now and he's got a kid on the way it's and it's lovely
1: awesome all right brian we'll see you next week okay Thank you, everyone, for listening. On Tour and The After Show are productions of iHeartRadio and Black Barrel Media. This show is produced by me, Mandy Wimmer, with executive producer Noel Brown. For more information about On Tour, visit our website, blackbarrelmedia.com. For behind-the-scenes photos from these interviews or to submit questions for The After Show, visit our social media at On Tour on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. For more shows from iHeartRadio and Black Barrel Media, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts.
3: From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I
4: thought...